Lord, thank you for what you're, what, you've, what you're doing. This whole conference, thank you for all the people that got healed and got envisioned and got empowered and got encouraged and left with impartation. And Lord, we just, we, first of all, we want to bless what you've done already. And we, we, wanna, we just want to say thank you. Lord, we want to be full of gratitude for what's already happened. And we pray, Lord, tonight that you would also, that you would continue that, that kind of anointing in people, that you would impart to people, that you would encourage them, that you give them, um, that you would equip them for the, for the wonderful days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, for those of you that haven't been a part of, a, of, of our congregation and you're here visiting, first of all, I, I've already said welcome, I really, really are glad that you're here. Um, I, I started a this uh, process in my own life, I've been in a process, actually since I was born I started this process and then started getting old, so I don't know, you know, you could always say, I believe we're in transition and be right any, any time in life, isn't that true? Just, there's just times when, you know, the, the, the bell curve goes like this and there's other times when it goes like this, right? And So the truth is that we're always in some sort of process and, and, um, and there are certain seasons when the process is dramatic and we feel it. You know, it's kind of like watching your teenager. You know, when they're born, they're in, they're, they begin the process. When you watch your child being born, they begin the process and they start walking. And, and then there seems like there's a few years where they're, they're growing, but the process isn't so dramatic. And then, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, whatever age, they hit puberty. And then there's this bell curve that goes whoop, and all of a sudden, you say, I mean, it becomes very apparent that we're in transition, right? Because the way that you led them pre-puberty and the way you lead them after, it's not only them changing, but you're changing to meet um, their, their season change. Isn't that true? And, and so, you know, when they, when they hit that age, you're like, you're looking for, if it's, this is your first teenager, you're typically looking for parents who have been through this before, and you're like, you're realizing that you may not have all the knowledge and skills for this season. Am I talking, you, you know what I'm trying to say. So the truth is, is that they're in transition from the time they're born to the time, you know, we go to heaven, but there are certain seasons where we're like, whoo, we're like, whoa, I don't have the skills for this season. I think I better go find someone who's ahead of me and get some skills. Does that make sense? And, and I think that we, we kind of grow, we don't tend to grow like this, we tend to grow like this. And when we're in one of those mountains where we're growing, you know, we're looking around and we're like, Can, has anyone been here before? Which is almost always a yes. And, and what, what wisdom do they have for me so that I don't make, I don't, I don't need to make, I mean, a wise man learns from other people's mistakes, right? And so, we, we, of course, we've all learned from our own, and that's not so fun. So I, I've, been in, I've been in this, uh, this, um, this huge season, and for, my, for me, um, maybe I started, I don't know, if I'm really bad at time, but the, the last six months, I'll say, and, and um, I've just been thinking about, um, what I called it steps to successful living, just to give it a title, but it just began with the Lord talking to me, and I've shared all this before, and I'm just going to take it someplace else in the next uh, 50 minutes or so, but, but uh, I, I had this encounter with the Lord, and this is just a, for those of you that, weren't, that haven't heard this part, it's, it's kind of foundational for what I'm going to share for the rest of the night. I had this encounter with the Lord a few months ago, where I woke up in the middle of the night, and the Lord just said to me, you're not present. You're not present. And um, 
It was a real, it's really a defining word for the... I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. I, want, I'm gonna, I don't really don't want to do that tonight. Uh, <laughs> I'm really... No, I'm, I have... I want to I speak from my mind tonight. <laughs> I'm really tired inside. So. And, I, and I, I felt... <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm not using that. I'm not using that. Uh, it's been happening to me more and more when I preach. I, I'd be preaching about something, you know, like the, the government of God and start crying. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if it's like menopause or, or the Holy Spirit, to tell you the truth. I'm like, especially when I have no idea why this subject, which doesn't seem to be like touching my intellect, is making me cry. It happens when I read the Bible sometimes. I'm like, I just feel so bad for Noah. I'm like, he lived. What is your problem? <laughs> I'm going to watch the news first and just get myself really frustrated before I read, just even it out. But um, so I had this encounter with the Lord in the middle of the night several months ago, and the Lord said to me, you're not present. And uh, for the sake of time, I'll just shorten the story because I've told it twice here. And, I, and so I, I, it's like three o'clock in the morning. I said, Lord, what, what do you mean I'm not present? And, and he said this to me, and I wrote this down on my journal. He said to me, you're not present. You're either thinking about yesterday or tomorrow. And you, when you're with someone, you're thinking about someone else you want to be with. And you, when you're with them, you're still thinking about someone else. And you've missed out on so much of life because you're not in the moment. And, and it began, that, that statement, you know how when the Lord speaks to you, he like releases grace for, like he doesn't just talk, he creates. When God speaks, he creates. And it created just several things in me. One, it, create, it gave me grace to change. And two, it gave me grace to, to, it gave me hunger to change. Like, I actually want to change. And uh, it made me also, it, it made me realize um, many things about myself that, that I, I really struggle. I've struggled with, um, I don't know if there's a diagnosis, but like an ADD. Like, I struggle staying focused. And I, and I realized that I, I've not done well managing myself, my soul, very well at all. And that... And the main thing that the Lord emphasized to me that night is that he had planned many encounters throughout the day that were to happen in events and with people. And I had missed most of those because I wasn't ever, no, I was seldom in the moment. And therefore, he wasn't mad at me. He was like, do you realize how much of life in God, in life in me that you've missed because I put, because I put your encounter in, the, in, a, in a person? I, I put encounters for you in the people, in people, but you missed the encounter because you actually weren't there. And um, I have a, a gamut of emotion. You know, one grief... Like, wow, well, I, wish I, I wish I could have heard this 20 when I was in my 20s. But then I trust the Lord that I probably wasn't ready to hear it. You know, I, I, I'm aware that the Lord speaks to us when he knows we can be successful. And that he doesn't, he doesn't put something on me that I can't handle. And therefore, I just feel guilty for something I know I should do but have no, no ability to 
And I don't know how all that works with God's grace. I'm not trying to make a theological statement. I'm just saying God doesn't do guilt. And, and he's been really good to me about speaking to me in the seasons when, when I know I can change, when I feel like it can change. Anyway, so that, that began a process. And, and I, I started um, just doing, um, being, first of all, being aware, just being aware that I, I'm not present. And being aware that that is costing me connections with people, of course. But, but as importantly, and more importantly probably, is it's costing me connections with God. And um, I, um, I don't know if the word working is right. You just need to give me grace tonight because I, I don't have the right language. And it might, it might sound like I'm talking about works and I don't mean that or anything like that. But I, I've, been, I've been working, the only thing I can think of is I've been worketh, working or focusing more on being obedient, not just obedient to the world, word, but um, being present. And, uh, and really just uh, when, I'm, when I'm in any situation, whether it's we're out, you know, Kathy and we're out in the yard um, Saturday working or being with Kathy, um, you know, how many know that sometimes the most familiar people can have the greatest encounter with, but you have the, less, the least expectation that somebody you're really familiar with, you're going to have a great encounter with. And it's funny, you know, somebody, you know, they, uh, they meet me for the first time, and maybe they've read a book or something, and they have this great expectation that they're going to have this encounter with me, you know, and I, uh, th- with God through me. And I'm like, if you had that same expectation with the person sitting next to you, you'd probably have the same encounter, because we're all just people, you know? And so, um, so anyway, I, I've been doing much better at that. I, I, and I don't know how you grade yourself. I'm not comparing myself to anyone else. And I know people, you know, when I thought about that night, when I, when I was just going through this uh, process of, wow, Lord, I'm really sorry. I'm really unaware that I've been doing that. I'm really sorry for all the people that that's cost probably more than I'm sorry that I didn't have an encounter, I'm even more sorry that they didn't have an encounter with me because I wasn't really present. So I've been, I can't live in regret. So it's like, all right, let's move, let's move ahead. And let's, um, let's make sure that we, we are present now. And so that's been a process and, and I'm learning a lot of stuff about that. And I uh, and I, I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. It's, it's, it's going to come out a little differently. I want to talk about managing your soul. Because uh, I, I think this has to do with managing my soul. Um, and and maybe, maybe it's different than that. But I, I feel like I, I manage my spirit life pretty well in the sense that I have fairly good disciplines. I know there's people that have better ones. Uh, you know, like Lou Engle. That guy, he's always fasting. I have to prepare myself when I know I'm going to encounter Lou because I just go right to guilt. Like, <laughs> just, seriously, I saw Lou at Jesus Culture whenever that was. Eric was there too, uh, a couple, three weeks ago or whatever, you know. Lou came as a surprise, you know. I was like, I didn't get to prepare for Lou being there because I didn't know he was going to be there. And I saw him and I'm like, ha, ah, you know. And so he's sitting next to me. I said, hey, would you like to have a power bar? He goes, ah, oh, no. I said, I know. You're not eating, right? He goes, I'm, I'm fasting. I'm like, shocking. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, you know, there's always people I admire that they just, they're just amazing. And I, I, 
I sincerely admire them. I'm jealous in a good way, if that makes sense. And they inspire me to, to do, not to do more, to be, to be more uh, passionate about, about spiritual disciplines. I, I'm talking about not religiously, but just... But uh, I feel like I, I manage myself fairly well, and, and my, early, my fathers, my spiritual fathers, have, have always had good disciplines, and Bill, Bill has great disciplines, and so I've, I've learned those. Uh, I'm not great at it, but... But I, I'm learning how to manage my soul. And uh, Bill wrote this really great book called Strengthening Yourself in the Lord. How many of you have read this book? This is a really excellent book. I read this book probably three times. And I, I crashed like six years ago now. Thankfully, it sounds like a long ways away now. Six years ago. That sounds like forever. Thank you, Jesus. But uh, I read this book about three times when I was laying on the couch. And this is a really good book about, you know, it's... it's uh, I think it comes from, um, I think the text is from David saying, strengthening himself in the Lord, if I remember correctly. But uh, would anyone like this book? Yeah, sure. I'll sign it for you later. It's a, it's a great book, and so some of what I'm going to share, I, I, I don't know if it comes directly out of that book, but it comes from out of this principles of the fact that we have a responsibility to actually strengthen ourselves in the Lord, and we have a responsibility to take care of our triune man. I, I love uh, the emphasis that Benny has had lately, um, probably in the last 10 years or so, maybe, maybe it's been longer, but I, that I'm aware of, of taking care of our body. And I think, that's, I think God wants us to take care of our whole man. And, um, you know, I, I think in the early days we were, we, had, we were under this impression, let me just put it me, on me, I was under the impression, like, if I take care of my spirit man, like if I pray and read the Bible and, um, and I, um, you know, I, I love God and I love people, like, everything else will, you know, it will work out, like, you know, that, if I keep my spiritual disciplines, everything will work out, you know, and, and it sort of did, you know, I just got bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger. <laughs> So I figured out after a while that I had to work out. It wouldn't just work out. And that I, had, I was responsible to take care of my whole man. Um, so Third John 2 has been a, a theme that I, I've been on probably, I don't know, a couple years. And you probably know it well. It, it says this, Beloved, I pray that in all respects, can you everybody say in all respects? That you may prosper. Say prosper. That's just good for us. You weren't as excited about the word prosper. Would you just say prosper? prosper. And be in good health, just as your soul prospers. And I, I've taught on this for a while now, but there is a sense that prosperity and health are actually directly related to my soul, not my spirit. And, and maybe I'm overemphasizing it for, uh, in, in this season of my life, but I'm really aware that prosperity... And again, when I think of prosperity, I can't help but think about money, but I think prosperity from God's perspective has to do with finances and relationships and just healthy living, like that I'm fully actualized, that I'm, I'm fully alive, that I'm fully me, and that, I, and that I'm doing that for everybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm a walking, living encouragement for people to become fully themselves. And for other people to be fully actualized. Like, to me, that's what prosperity is. That when, you, when I get around somebody that makes me feel fully alive, I feel like, I feel like that's part of what I do. It's, and each of us do it differently. Like, and each of us activate other people differently. And each of us activate different people. And um, I, I get around certain people. I, I, 
I, um, sometimes I'll, I'll do a conference just because there's a certain speaker that's going to speak. I, I don't mean that I'm not excited about speaking, but because when I get around that person, they make me feel fully alive. And I'm like, the conference might be good or not, but hanging around the green room with that person makes me feel fully alive and, and inspires me to creativity. Um, a lot of people on our staff do the same. Uh, Dan McCollum is a, is a, Dano McCollum from uh, the mission is, is a person, when I get around Dano, I feel fully alive. I don't know what it is about him, I, and it's not just what he says, it's just the way he lives his life. It makes me feel, uh, it makes me, it's like he adds a piece to me that's missing and, in my life. And so, um, so when I think of prosperity, I, I, I think it's way beyond money. I think it's being fully alive, fully, fully yourself, and, and of course it says, and be in good health. And so the soul is really important, and we've done all sorts of things to demean the soul in church history. Um, you know, some uh, to the point where we've actually, uh, in, certain, in, in certain seasons in church history, we've actually demeaned the soul and felt like the soul was evil and felt like emotions and feelings were, were um, if you, you know, the more emotional you were, the less spiritual you were. And, and you know, we, we didn't even, it didn't even dawn on us that the most emotional guy in the Bible is God. And Jesus wept, not because, he was, not because he didn't know he was going to raise Lazarus, but because he can connect with emotion. Like, he broke the Spock-like Vulcan planet that the Pharisees had created, and he showed people that being vulnerable and being human and being emotional is actually spiritual. It's actually Christ-like. And so um, I, I want to talk a little bit about that and, uh, Obviously, Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, which is kind of the Old Testament word for spirit, all your soul and all your might, your body, soul, and spirit. Like, your whole being should be involved in loving God. And I, I love when we worship here, and I, I don't think worship is just happens when the music starts, and I love what, I think it was Paul was talking about, worshiping God with whatever you do. But, but I love that, that worship has, is, has expressions in that, you know, it's, it's, we, get to, we get to activate our whole body. We offer your body up as a living sacrifice. And that God likes it and that he enjoys it. Um, and Deuteronomy 4.29 says, from, from there you'll seek the Lord and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart. That's the kind of the, the spirit piece. And all your soul. And so, you know, throughout the whole Bible, God, God is, is telling us that we're to be active our soul is actually longs for God. David said, my soul longs for God. My flesh yearns for God. Look at the Old Testament, not born again guy. Are you okay? Okay, you're like, okay, we got it. Got that part. Move on. And, and, and so I want to talk about the restoration of the soul and what it looks like. And David said um, in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in quiet waters, he restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yet, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll feel no, fear no evil, for you're with me, your rod, your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I, li- I like that part. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You know, I think when you're in warfare, you should eat. So now I'm thinking... 
I'm like thinking, what do I do when you're really under pressure? Eat. I'm just go, hey devil, watch me. We're gonna have a feast. Mm-mm, that may not be true, but anyway. Prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, I've shared this many times, but I, I memorized this in the King James Version, which is part of the reason why I have to read it here. Not because I haven't memorized it, but because I'm reading it in New American Standard. And it's like, like they have goodness and loving kindness. That's wrong. <laughs> That's wrong. But, it, but the King James Version, well, we know that can't be right. Because the King James Version says goodness and mercy. So how could loving kindness be right? Anyway, these are the, this is the my theological paradigm. There's, there's some blessing to not knowing Hebrew. <laughs> but the King James Version says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea. So you know that can't be right. Um, nobody who's ever been through the valley of the shadow of death says yay. So that's why I use a mixture when I, when I preach this. So, yay, yeah. So, but David, I mean, the, obviously the, the part I want to key in on is David says, the Lord restores my soul. Not my heart, not my spirit, which I'm sure he does, but in this David's case, He's talking about the Lord restores my soul. And I want to ask you what you do to rebuild your soul. And, and what do you do to expand, what do you do to expand your creativity and compassion? Your capacity for creativity and compassion. And, and I, I just I was having a conversation with uh, some friends the other day. I still have some. It's pretty cool. They're not on Facebook. And I, 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 um, I realized this, like, our spirit has unlimited resources. How many of you know that the spirit world lives in eternity? Like, you actually, you're already seated in heavenly places. How, how many of you know? You're, you're already seated. You're, you're bilocational, as Steve Thompson said in the conference, which I thought was awesome. Your spirit doesn't sleep. Your soul sleeps, but your spirit doesn't sleep. You know, some of the time, sometimes when you have a dream... Have you ever had a dream and you felt like, like you, you, you woke up in the morning even though you slept really well, but you felt like you worked all night? And sometimes, sometimes a dream is when your soul sleeps and your spirit has an adventure. And you remember it as a dream, but it's actually an experience that your spirit had with the spirit realm while you slept. Because the spirit never sleeps. And so your spirit, man, he, he's amazing. How many know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? You know, the flesh isn't evil, it's just weak. And so your spirit can do things, and, and your spirit has strength that your, your soul and your flesh don't have. And I, I, um, I've likened it many times to, you know, when, when uh, our grandkids were little, you know, especially when they're the first year, year and a half while they're learning to walk, you know, you're, if you're walking through the mall with them, you're holding hands with them, you know, if you're going to walk at your pace, they're going to be dragging. So, you know, they, I can walk at a pace. It's not that there's anything wrong with their walk. It's just that they're learning. You understand the metaphor? It's like, it's not, there's nothing evil about them. It's just that they're learning. Like, they're not mature. Uh, they're, they're, their pace is much slower. 
And I think that, you know, if we, if we live by the Spirit and, we, and, be, and follow the Spirit, which we should, we need to realize that my spirit can do things and has strength that my soul and my body don't have. And so, you know, so many of the early revivalists, if you've read uh, many of the stories, and I, I've read some of them, my, some of our team are really like, they're, they're like historians of, uh, of former um, moves of God. And the stories just go on and on about men and women who loved God and who crashed over and over and over. And part of it was, I think, part of it is this whole, this whole uh, culture that said, you know, just, just lay your life down for God. And uh, there was something about, it's almost like, I don't know, I, just, I don't know how, what good we are when we crash. I don't know how many, how many people you're going to touch when you can't get off the couch or when you're sick or when you're depressed. And some of these people, they just, you know, they just prayed for people for hours, seven days a week, until literally their spirit could still function, but their, their body and their soul was completely and totally crashed. And then many of them did crazy things, you know, um, that shouldn't, probably shouldn't be repeated from the podium, but many of them did crazy things. And, and I watch in our own movement and, and with our friends, I watch people who totally love God get so exhausted that they end up looking for encouragement and love. I mean, they're, they, they're, instead of encouraging themselves in the Lord, instead of stopping life and letting their soul get restored, they run off with somebody. They do some, something stupid. And I, I think this is really important. And, and I'm, I've become aware that, um, that our soul is limited and, and has finite resources. We can overdraw our soul's ability to cope with life. You can be overcommitted, but you can't be overdrawn with time. Time runs out. By its definition, uh, it, it's, its definition means it's finite. I ran out of time to get that project done. Let me tell you what I mean. Sometimes, we, if you don't manage time well, and there's all kinds of tools to manage time, right? We can manage time. Like there's, there's time management classes you can go to. By the way, they're all good. But you can run out of time. You can say, well, I ran out of time to get that done. You can run out of time because the nature, the, the definition of time is that it's finite. There's only so much of it. So you can finally run out of time. Here's the challenge. In other words, you can't, I, I understand that this is a little bit subjective, but you can't overdraw time because time runs out. Does that make sense? You can be overcommitted, but you can't be in two places at once, so you just run out of time. The challenge is, is that you don't, your soul does, doesn't have the privilege of running out. It's kind of like this. If, if time is gasoline, you can, run, you, can, you can be driving down the road and you can run out of gasoline. And what happens when you run out of gasoline? The car stops. And you have to go get more gasoline. But it doesn't hurt anything. You pull over the side, you go get gasoline, you're frustrated, you ran out of gasoline. But if you think of your soul like the tires on your car, the tires don't determine the the tire. Your tires don't propel you; the engine does. So you 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 can you can run on bald tires. Does that make sense? You can keep driving even though the tires are completely bald until one blows out. And when it blows out, how many know that's not go get more gasoline? That's a repair. 
are, are, you, are you following me? And, and I guess, I, I guess I'm, I'm watching uh, the world around me and, and lots of the people around me in my own world. And I'm, I'm very concerned about my own world. And, I, and I'm feeling like um, I was having a conversation with some, some very uh, powerful people in my world. And actually just began as a prophetic word. I had this prophetic word for a friend of mine. And I said, mm, we're, we're, we're having lunch one day. And I said, I'm very concerned that, not that you're doing anything wrong, but that God is opening up prominence for you. And the doors are opening, more people. And I see, this, I see God promoting you. And she's like, okay, that's good. But I have this warning. And she said, what's the warning? I said, the warning I have is that you're not going to manage your soul well because you haven't learned to manage your soul well because you haven't needed to. Like, like, you can actually, you have this much capacity and actually you're living, in, you're living in a life that your soul has this much capacity and you're living in a life that only requires this much. So, so you're okay. But you're about to step into a world that, is require, that, that has this much capacity and you only have this much. And I'm concerned that you haven't developed tools to manage you well, your soul well. And I'm concerned that you'll overdraw your soul. How many know you can overdraw your checking account? Like, it doesn't stop at zero. Your debit card does. It goes, dude, you're out of money. You go, that's no problem. I'll write a check. <laughs> right? And the banker calls. It's like, you're overdrawn. And so I think that a lot of I think a lot of people, especially as God promotes us, a lot of people overdraw. They're like we're not actually accustomed. We're not accustomed to managing our soul well, and therefore we kind of go from crash to crash. Like I go until I can't go anymore. I get a flat tire. My engine's still pushing me. I, I don't. I don't. I don't check the wear. Just, I don't know wear bars on the tires. I don't even look at them. I just wait till I have a flat. Then when I have a flat, I, you know, I, I, if it, especially if it's a blowout, then I, maybe I should do all four. And, and, and I kind of go from crash to crash. And it doesn't necessarily mean I crash like I'm gone forever, but maybe I crash and I'm, and I'm sick for several days. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm sick. I'm like, I, I know why you're sick. And I look around, some of my friends are like, oh, I'm, you know, they're sick a lot. I'm like, I know why you're sick a lot. You're not managing your soul, other people are managing your soul. And the motor keeps going. And by the way, if you give hope to people, if you create a culture around you, like people are like, how do I get in the ministry? Just create hope. Just, just, just actually draw out the best in people and you will have more people than you could possibly ever minister to. Because the world is selling hopelessness. So if you just sell hope, I'm saying sell, you know, if you just become a hope dispenser, you will have more people to minister to than you could ever minister. Like it it will be, there'll be, it'll be nonstop. It'll be nearly infinite because the whole world is, feels hopeless. And when you start saying, when they go, well, I think America's going to hell and you go, what? I don't think so. They might be mad at you for a while, but they like hanging around you because there's something about being around people who actually think things could get better. So I, I want to give you, um, I want to say, I, I want to tell you seven enemies of your soul. And before I do that, I want to say this. You have to take responsibility to manage your soul. No one can do it for you. 
No one can do it for you. Well, you know, my wife kind of walked. No, no. Your wife doesn't know how you're doing inside. Only you do. Well, my leader, no, your leader may love you dearly, but your leader doesn't know how you're doing. Only you do. You and God. And so I want to say this, like, when people crash, they're like, my, my boss, you know, I have to. No, no, you listen, slavery is not legal in this country. <laughs> slavery is not legal in this country. What you're saying is that they created expectations that you tried to live up to, and you didn't set boundaries, so you crashed and blamed it on your job. But slavery is not legal in this country. So the idea that some external person put you in a situation where you crash and it's their fault is actually an illusion. At least it should be. There's probably circumstances I haven't thought of. Okay, I'm going to give you these just really quickly and then I'm going to give you seven uh, solutions. The first one is um, seven enemies of your soul. Creating expectations in others that you can't fulfill. Create an expectation in others that you can't fulfill. Telling people you'll do something that you actually, you haven't actually thought through how much time that's going to take, and you do that enough times that you have a whole bunch of people that expect you to do things, and you actually can't do it. And what happens is, it doesn't just, it, you, you don't just run out of time, it, it weighs on your soul. It weighs on your soul. Little simple things for me, like, like somebody will, will hand me a book and say, Hey, here, here's my book I just wrote. Would you read it? No. No, I'm not trying to be rude. It's probably a wonderful book. But I get an average of four of them a week. You know, I'm still trying to like, get the Bible in somewhere Amen. between reading Bill's books. <laughs> They'll hand me a, a, you know, a CD. Would you listen to this teaching? You know, I, I used to, I, I know it's like, I know it's kind of like politically correct or socially right to say, sure, I will. But then I walk away knowing that I'm living an incongruent life because the truth is, is that if I retire someday before I go to heaven, I might have time to do that. But the truth is, I'm probably not ever going to do that unless Jesus wakes me up in the middle of the night and says, read that book or listen to that CD, the truth is, is I have stacks of them. And I probably am not, if it's a music CD, maybe, but probably not. And so I, I, I make false vows, and then it weighs on my soul. I create expectations. And so I, I don't know how we do this completely, because people are really, I'd love to have you over. And you're like, you know, I know it's kind of rude to go, yeah, I'm never coming. <laughs> it, uh, you know, I, don't, I haven't figured out how you, like, tell people, like, yeah, that's not going to actually happen. <laughs> Number two, imagining the worst in challenging uh, situations. Managing, no, I'm sorry. Imagining the worst in challenging situations. This has been huge for me. You get in a situation and you, man, you, you imagine, you begin to visualize the worst possible scenario. Now, if you're anything like me, see the problem with prophetic people is we see in HD, DVD, surround sound, color, 3D. So it's awesome when we have a vision from the Lord. It's terrifying when we have a vision from the devil or from our human spirit. And so, so imagining the worst in challenging situations. Number three, living in regret for your past mistakes and sins. 
And we'll talk about solutions in a minute. Number four, refusing to forgive others or yourself. And by the way, yourself should not be whispered. Number five, setting boundaries, not, no, start over, not setting boundaries with disrespectful people. We'll talk about it in a minute. Number six, trying to live up to the expectations of others. And number seven, taking yourself too seriously, which I actually have a problem with, but I thought I'd put it in there for some of you people who look like you've been sucking on lemons. So I, I want to speak the seven habits of healthy people, and here, here's the first one. They're all related to the seven, the, the, the seven, whatever I said, enemies of your soul. Number one, develop a, a healthy rhythm for your life. Don't overpromise and underperform. Keep some soul, keep some of your soul in a bank account. Um, my, my mom uh, just got diagnosed with cancer. By the way, please pray for her. Um, yeah, I, I really have a piece about it. I think she's going to be good, be okay. But, um, but I, I'm the oldest of three kids. And, um, and so I, all, all of my siblings, my brother and my sister, they're, they're all feeling the way of, it's my mom. You know, it's our mom. But um, so about, uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, my mom, you know, obviously there was something wrong. She went to the doctor. Um, you know, she had lost 30 pounds. I'm like, hey, mom, something's wrong. She's like, oh, I'm feeling great. I'm like, yeah, well, you ain't looking good. And if you lose 30 more pounds, you're going to be like the invisible man. So I think you should go see the doctor. No, I'm feeling, oh, mom, you're going to the doctor. You want to make an appointment or are you going to make it? Okay. You know, my mom's 78, so she's not used to, like, taking orders from anyone. So through a long, you know, process, uh, this has been almost two months ago, um, she finds out that she has fourth-stage lymphoma. Yeah, pretty serious. I mean, cancer is in itself is pretty serious, you know. And I, I used to you know, lay awake one night just thinking about, okay, never been through this. My, my dad died when I was three, so I've never been through this before. And, you know, and my mom's calling me on a pretty regular basis, just obviously looking for emotional support. And, and, I, and I'm thinking about my soul bank, if I could use it. I'm thinking about my soul bank, and I'm doing really good. My soul bank is, like, like I don't have any money left over in it, but I don't have any unpaid bills. Does that make sense? And I'm looking at my mom's situation, and I'm thinking, that looks like it could take a lot of emotional energy this next year while my mom goes through treatment if she doesn't get miraculously healed. And so I, 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 I've never done this before, but I, I, just, I just laid awake one night thinking, you know, I could get a flat tire and then decide to do something about my soul, or I could, and, and probably what I'm going to end up doing if I don't, if, because I, every, every penny in my soul bank I spend, I'm not overdrawing, but I, I spend every penny in it, if I don't do something, I'm probably going to have a flat tire. I'm not going to be able to support my mom. That's what's going to happen. Something's going to give, or I'm not going to be able to support something else I've committed to. So I, I just said, you know, I just prayed about it. I, I really did pray about it. I'm not saying I, well, I, I'll just pray about it. I, just, I really did. I just prayed about it, and I said to the Lord, what, what should I do? Because I look ahead, and if you do a miracle, that's going to be wonderful. If you don't, this feels like a pretty daily, call my mom, 
go there, be at the hospital. This feels like it could really take some energy to do this, to support my mom well. And I felt like the Lord said, um, what are you doing that, you, that other people can do better than you, that you should give up? And so I, I was on a couple boards that take a lot of emotional energy. I really loved um, being on them, but I just, the next morning I just called them. Actually, I sent an email to one of them and just said, I really love what we're doing. My mom has just been diagnosed with cancer. I'm looking ahead and I'm looking at the energy it's going to take to do that well and the energy it's taking to do this well and I can't do both. And I'm really sorry, but I resign. And they wrote me back a really nice letter and I said, I'm, you know, I'm glad to be there if you need me, but I, I, can't, I can't be obligated to be there. I can't obligate myself to be there because then I'm going to create expectations I can't fulfill and I'm going to be sorry. I'm going to live in this place of, oh, I was supposed to be at that meeting. Oh, I got there late. Oh, I didn't read that email that was so important. Oh, I didn't get that paper signed, you know. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to live in a place of regret, and I don't want to do that. So um, it was really cool. Um, the people, the, the, the board, the, the biggest board I resigned from, um, they called me about two weeks later and said, this is a great example for us, that you are actually thinking ahead and that you're trying to make sure that you're present. If the Lord hadn't visited me a couple, few months ago, three months ago, and said you're not present, I wouldn't have never done that. I would have just not been present. And I just don't feel like I can live like that anymore. Number two, in challenging situations, we, we talked about in challenging situations, we imagine the worst there's just a simple tool, and I've been doing it a lot more. In challenging situations, like my mom, instead of imagining the worst, and I, and I can get videos going in my mind, imagine, first of all, ask God what he says about this, and imagine what that would look like. And begin to play the movie in your mind of what it would look like for God to intervene. Some of you, um, I feel the, this, this example like, some of you have kids that aren't doing well. Maybe they're teenagers or they're out of the house and they're not doing well. And you lay awake at night imagining, maybe you imagine them overdosed or imagine them committing suicide. Or I, This is not in my mind until just a second, so I have to think that the Holy Spirit is talking to somebody. And, and you're, you're, you're laying awake at night and these movies are running through your mind of this terrible situation. I've, I've totally been there. And I want to encourage you that the Lord has a plan for your kids. And that he actually loves them way more than you do. And he's actually a much better father. I don't care how great a father or mother you are. He's better than you. And I, I, and I would really encourage you to imagine what it would look like for the Lord to touch your kids and do what he's promised you he would do with them. Now, um, I, I love these verses. This is Kathy's uh, favorite passage. Like, like Paul Manwaring's favorite passage is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, I think. This is Kathy's favorite passage. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord's near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all the, um, understanding, comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, and I love this, I, I call this soul food. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, 
whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything's worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things which you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, can I just read this, that, that last list? It's really been helpful for me. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things which you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. This is a powerful verses right there. Kathy reminds me of them when our kids were in real, in real trouble. Kathy would say, hey, read these verses. I'm like, you know, Kathy's the most thankful person I know. You know, I said this last time I taught, you know, she can get run over by a car and be thankful it wasn't a truck. I mean, that's just, <laughs> makes me sick. Number three, um, I forget what the question was. Number three was, uh, number three, living in regret. Solution, number three, um, past failures become present wisdom when we process them through the cross. Life experiences make us, life experiences set us up to make better decisions in the future. Um, You know, I... uh, I heard a message many years ago, I think it was at a youth conference, and the guy said, I never trust a leader that doesn't walk with a limp. I repeated it for years to my youth. I had no idea what it meant. <laughs> I just thought it was so cool. You know Jacob walked with a limp, he wrestled with God and walked with a limp. I, uh, the, and the youth pastor, was his, it was his main point, like, I would never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. And I'm like, yeah, me neither. <laughs> no idea what he's talking about. And it was years later that I realized that he's talking about God says this, the Bible says this, and you experience that. And instead of just going, well, whatever, you wrestle with God and you go, this isn't right. This, listen, I'm not going to change my theology. I insist that you help me change my experience. And I wrestle with God. Instead of going, well, instead of becoming cynical and go, well, you know, when, when young people go, and I'm going to pray and that person's going to get out of the wheelchair, instead of going, yeah, maybe. Because that's what old people tend to do, right? We tend to go, oh, yeah, well, if you had some experience, you know they don't all get out. <laughs> and, I sometimes, and I think sometimes as older people, we feel like it's our job to kind of temper their you know, enthusiasm so they don't get disappointed. Instead... Instead of doing that, we wrestle with God. And we go, I prayed for 50 people who didn't get out of a wheelchair. And, this, and, and these young people are trying to, uh, they're praying for people. And instead of me being the cynical old man, I'm the man who dreams dreams. I've wrestled with God and to the place where I go, somebody's going to get out of a wheelchair and it's going to create a domino effect and many more people are going to get out of a wheelchair and it's going to be, you know, like when, the, when they broke the five-minute mile, uh, uh, Bannister, uh, Roger Bannister broke the five-minute mile and it's like a four-minute mile, four-minute mile. And, you know, you know it's, there's going to be, there's, there's going to be a domino effect and many people, this victory is going to create many more victories. And so I wrestle with God. So my, my point is, is that 
past failures processed through the cross actually makes me a better person. I, I don't know, I feel it to say this, like some of you, some of you you've, been in, you've been through a divorce, you know? You've been through a divorce, it's like, uh, you know, in Christianity that's like, almost like leprosy in some circles. And it's like, all right, you failed. It was your fault, it wasn't your fault, whatever. But what did you learn? Can you be a better marriage partner the next time? Can you do life better? Is it me, if you failed in business, can you, can you do it better next time? Is it, are you relegated to your past? Is that, is that the end of the story? Is that the last chapter? Because that's not the way I read redemption. Uh, okay, that wasn't a little battle there. Number four. Sorry. You uh, refuse to forgive others and yourself. Uh, you know, um, make it your goal in life to have no offense towards anyone. If someone sins against you, go to them and work it out. Forgive them whether they deserve it or not. If you go to somebody and you're like, hey, you know what, you did this to me, and they go, no, I didn't, you know, you're all wrong. It's like, don't live with offense, it's not worth it. I love, I, I don't know if Joyce Myers is actually the originator of this, but I heard it first from her. She said, unforgiveness is like deadly poison, like drinking deadly poison and thinking like the other person's going to die. It's like, just live with, un, just live unoffended you know just like don't do you know what i'm saying it's like don't live with offense and if somebody if you have something uh, have a problem with somebody please don't tell 20 people go talk to them what what is this thing over and over people are like joe has a problem with you well tell joe to come talk to me he's afraid of you well he's not afraid to tell you he ought to be afraid enough of jesus that he wouldn't tell you as he told me, you know, you know, you have a problem with somebody, go talk to them. I'm, well, I'm praying about it. Well, Jesus didn't say pray about it. He said, go talk to them. If you know somebody has something against you, go talk to them. It's like, it's a pretty big deal that we work out our relationships. Number five. Um, sorry. Number five. <laughs> Not setting boundaries with disrespectful people. Oh, this is... Um, how are we going to do this? We have 10 minutes left. Um, you have to respect yourself. Let me read you what I wrote. Setting boundaries with people, set boundaries with people who abuse you and don't be a martyr. If you choose to love a person who hates you, then do that as unto the Lord. If you let many people abuse you, I question whether you have self-respect. Listen, I, I don't know where this balance is, and I, I'm probably not going to say this exactly right. I think it's important to love people who hate you. I mean, like, actually be in their life. If, most, if you're in an environment that, like, you kind of draw people who don't like you, and you just emerge yourself in that environment, I really wonder whether you like you. Because when we don't like ourselves, then we tend to surround ourselves with people who will punish us. And so I'm, I, if you love yourself and you realize that you're the temple of God, then there has to be something about you in which you respect yourself and you don't put yourself... I'm talking about, remember, I already said that you love people who don't love you and, and that there's that. But if your whole life is submerged with people who don't like you, they disrespect you, and it's like nobody really respects you, I wonder if you respect you. And so I think it's really important that you, that you respect yourself. Uh, number six, live to please the Lord, not people. If you please the Lord, you will have done your part to please the people that you're assigned to serve. 
Remember that miserable people want someone to blame for their miserable life. This is, um, this is pretty huge to me. I think it's really important that, that we please people, but not that we are afraid that we're going to please people. Like, let me say this. That I think that we, we, when we, if we focus on pleasing the Lord, then the people whom the Lord has given us to serve will be pleased if they're pleasable. <laughs> I think everyone's chuckling because you know what I mean. There are some people, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you do, they're not going to ever be pleased. And miserable people need somebody to blame for their miserable life. And if you happen to be in their miserable life, and especially if you're happy, you're probably going to be a target. But, you're, you know, years ago, uh, I don't know if Kathy will remember this, but I was learning this lesson. And, I, and for me, I grew up like, um, I, I grew up, with, you know, obviously without a dad, and so th- the way I compensated, comp- compensated was to try to please people. Like, I was always looking for affirmation because I didn't have it from my dad, and my mom was obviously in, in, in you know, her own issues, having her own problems. So I, I spent my life looking for affirmation from people, and I was always like, you know, like, just, and my, my life would rise and fall depending on how that felt, that person felt about me. And this is what happens when you, if you're a people pleaser, then your life is tied to what you think they think about you. And if they're upset, if you're anything like me, and it's somebody really important in your life, and you're trying to please them, if they're upset, then you think it must be my fault. Like something, something in me says, I did something wrong. Uh, this, but if I'm pleasing the Lord, if my focus is pleasing the Lord, then, then, then the Lord assigns people that I'm serving as onto him. And if they're not pleased, I've done my best. I remember when I was trying to learn this, and I didn't do this the right way, but it's kind of a funny story. I was, I was, I was actually praying beside my bed one morning, and, uh, and Kathy came in the room, and I said to Kathy, she looked, I said to Kathy, in my intensity, I said, I want you to know, we weren't, we weren't having a conversation. She just came in the room. I said, sit here on the bed. I want to talk to you. She said, oh, okay. Something wrong. I said, I just want you to know that you will no longer be first in my life. She's like, okay. I said, from this day forward, you will be second, and the Lord will be first. She's like, okay. I'm sure she was like, wrong angel showed up in your room today. It wasn't the right way to work it out. I was just trying to work out, if I put the Lord first, then I'll have more for second. If I put the Lord first, I'll have more for you. But if I spend my life trying to please you, then my life, my life ebbs and flows depending on how you're doing. And how many know I don't have power over how you're doing? I only have power over how I'm treating you. How you receive it, I can't do anything about that. And so we, and, and we, we have to have an internal, this internal thing where we live by the expectations of God, not by the expectations of people. This is a very simple concept. It's very hard to live out. I think it's the difference between excellence and, and perfectionism. I think excellence is a manifestation of his excellency. 
I think perfectionism, it looks the same on the outside, but it has a completely different heart. I think perfectionism is the fear of man. Someone's going to reject me if I don't get it just right. But excellence comes out of who you are. I think that all of us have excellency inside of us. Like, I think, uh, did you hear what I said? I think that all of us, because Jesus lives inside of us, and he really is his majesty, his excellence, there's something in us that loves excellence. I remember when I was um, when I was a mechanic when I first started uh, in a, in a repair shop. I, I you know I, when I would do a brake job and people most people probably don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But we used to have drum brakes and we had backing plates. So you you would so this is the way it looks uh, to a layman. You take off the tire and behind the tires a brake drum which is all rusty. You take off the brake drum. There's two brake shoes there and you put new brake shoes on. And there's a wheel cylinder that pushes the shoes out that stops the, that pushes against the drum, and that's basically how, especially cars before the 80s stopped. Well, when I would do a brake job, I would clean the backing plate, paint the backing plate, polish the places where the brake shoes move back and forth, and then turn the drums and put the brakes on, put, and put the brakes all together. It absolutely drove my boss crazy. He said, why are you painting the backing plates? Do you understand that they're going to be dirty like the second time you hit the brakes and that no one is ever going to see that? And I'd say, I know, but I need to do it. I'd say, I'll work a half hour over so that it doesn't cost you. He's like, that's not the point. It would make him crazy. Like, that's not the point. I'm saying, like, you don't understand. I don't do this for people. I do it for me. Kathy can tell you, like, I get up in the morning. If, there's, if I have enough time at all, I make the bed. I make the bed. Our bed. Well, you're like, well, that's no big deal. I know. I, I'm, I, I have to make the bed. <laughs> and I'll just throw the blankets on there. I have to make the bed. Like, well, why do you make the bed? No one's coming over and you're going to be in it in eight hours. I understand that. I don't make it to impress people. I make it because there's something in me that needs things to be excellent out around me because they're excellent inside of me. If you come into my wood shop, it's clean. If it's not clean, it's because someone else used it who has my last name. but doesn't necessarily have the same expressions in the same place. If I go in the bathroom at our church and there's stuff all over the place and, and towels all over the place, I will clean the bathroom before I leave. I did it tonight. I go in the bathroom, if there's paper everywhere, or I don't know what the deal is, like, like you know, you can only stack paper up in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, um, Sorry, garbage cans. Like, you just have to lay it on top of there. Like, no one can take their hand and stick it down in there. It has to overflow. Like, what's the problem? What are you afraid of? What disease are you going to get? Like, like, do it first and then wash your hands. What's the problem? I, if I walk across our parking lot and there's crap on the parking lot, I pick the stuff up and t- throw it in the garbage can. It's like, I don't do it to impress anybody. I just do it because that's what's in me. And I just don't get people. 
No, I'm sorry. I just don't get people like, I just can't live like that. <laughs> I understand that you're not defined by what you build, but you are revealed by it. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> I think enough's probably said about that. I've given up, like, people are like, well, you're OCD. I'm like, maybe. But I don't think that's why I do that. Well, you're trying to please people. Nobody comes to my house and goes upstairs and see if our bed's made or not. I don't do it for anybody. I do it for me. And listen, if you don't make your bed, that's fine. That's not the point. You understand that? People are like, oh, my God, I'll make a point. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not excellent. No, no, it manifests different for different people. Like, Eric cares about font. Seriously, about font. I'll, I'll put together this presentation like, what font did you use? I don't know, it's in English. And he'll put together a brochure, he's like telling me about how the spacing is and all Looked good the first time he did it to me. This is something, you know, I'm saying everybody has their own, own expression of it. Do you, are, are you following me? Like yours might be different than mine. And, you know, and it might drive you crazy that I use the font that I can actually see because I'm blind. So this font I use, I don't know what it's called, but it has bigger letters. That's why I use it, to be honest. So we did a PowerPoint the other day and Eric's and I... And I got the PowerPoint all done. This is a true story. And I don't do lots of PowerPoints. And uh, so I put the PowerPoint together. I got it all done. And then I remembered at the last minute, like about 10 minutes before the team came over, that Eric was going to come and look at my PowerPoint. <laughs> this is a true story. And you know, you can change the font really quickly. And I'm thinking, what font did he tell me? He likes two fonts. I looked through the font list and I could not remember what font I'm like. He's going to look at my PowerPoint. He's not even going to be reading the PowerPoint. He's going to be like, oh, he used that font I told him not to use. <laughs> I know. I'm sure he was thinking that. It was like he was gracious and didn't say anything. But I'm like, he's going to miss the whole presentation because he's looking at the font. Everybody has their own way that they express excellence. But it, it, it's in there. And the last thing is this. Um, we, we need to laugh a lot. Especially when you do something dumb, or you make a mistake, or you discover a flaw in yourself. Rejoice. I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. Therefore, Paul said, I'm well content with weakness and insults, and with distress and persecutions, and with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, that I'm strong. I, 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 just, let me just finish with this. It's really important. Somebody once said, you know, you're so worried about people, what people think about you. If you realized how little they did, you wouldn't be worried about it. And you know, most of the stories we tell about ourselves that are funny, they weren't funny when it happened. So the only difference between laughing at yourself and having a good life and having a great story is laughing when you're in the middle of it. 
And, um, and you know, and, and our team, you know, they're so, they, they still know that I'm not too good at the English language. So if I pause, when Bill pauses, they're like, amazing. When I pause, they're like trying to help me, like, remember <laughs> the word I'm looking for. <laughs> they're all, and they're all in the front room, they're like. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> liberation. Like, they're all. No, I'm good. I'm pausing like Bill Dawes. Like, doesn't have the same effect, you know? But it's just something about being yourself and being authentic. And when you, when you mess up, you just get back up and you laugh. And, and, um, I, and I think it's like, tell your own story. Don't let other people tell on you. Tell your own story. I tell my own story. When I make a mistake, I just like tell it as a story. And they're like, he did that on purpose. Like, no, I'm just afraid someone's going to tweet it. <laughs> Why don't you stand and let me pray for you all. Put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I just pray for our souls. I just pray that you restore our souls. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom on how to manage our souls. I pray that you'd give us wisdom on how to be present. How to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And how to live to please you and in pleasing you, please people. God, I just pray that you would teach us how to live from your expectations. And not be driven by the expectations of what everyone else thinks I should be doing. And Lord, I just, I just release that. I release people from the bondage of other people's expectations. And I pray for a freedom to come in this house. And for people who are watching by Bethel TV, Lord, I just pray for a freedom to come into our lives as we live to please you. And that we would no longer be a slave to men, but we'd be slaves to God and friends of God. Amen. Amen.